Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Mother Rucker podcast is sponsored by Baby Tula, a global leader in ergonomic and comfortable carriers. Tula's mission is to give parents confidence and support and help them keep doing what they love while being reflective of their own personal style through a range of stunning designs. As an inclusive brand, Tula offers carriers for all ages and stages from birth up to around seven years to empower families of all kinds throughout their unique parenting journeys. Make sure you check them out and choose your favourite design. And welcome to the Mother Rucker podcast. My name is Lizanne and I'm here to chat to you about all things sling every single week. With me today is the formidable Dr. Rosie Knowles, author of Why Baby Wearing Matters and Carrying Matters, her website and popular social media accounts. Hello, Rosie. Hello, Lizanne. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. Thank you for joining me. I'm honoured to have you here. My pleasure. <laughs> so obviously you are a qualified GP. I am, yes. You know, I've been um working as a GP in Sheffield for a long time. I worked out the other day actually I've been a doctor for almost 20 years. Wow. Two decades in medicine. Um and I still love it as much as I did when I first started out. Um I wanted to be a hospital doctor actually, you know, I was mm. always set up for a hospital career. Um and uh, I'd done all of my specialist exams and everything like that. But then my, I met my husband. And of course, you know, um, that, put, that changed things a little bit. You know, I just wanted to um, spend a little bit more time enjoying life and maybe have a family at some point. And I remember in the early days when we started getting to know each other, we'd be going out and it was snowing. We'd be going out into the Peak District um, on uh, when I was working night, I was meant to go home and sleep during the day, but we'd take the day, we'd go into the Peak District and find the igloo the people have built and go on trips to um, around the country. I just thought I'd really enjoy actually having a little bit of time to, to live. Um, so I decided to switch to be a GP actually, which is also really good for uh, having a family. Um, and actually being a GP is great because it means that I get to meet people through the whole trajectory of their lives, you know. Um, and having been working for as long as I have, and I know families, I, um, the grandparents and the parents and the children, and how they all interact with each other and communities, and it's a really lovely job to do. So, yes, I'm a part-time GP these days. That's amazing. And what an impact you must be having on the community as well. Well, we're one of the um, old-style GP practices. You know, there's only two of us two partners which means we all know our patients really well so it's quite different from uh no giant gp surgeries where you don't have a named doctor and you might see a different person every time you go um and uh, we still do home visits and things like that and so it's a real community feel and um during the pandemic it's been really interesting we've had um a lot of ad adaptation to make really for not being able to see people as much so we've been doing a lot of video calls and phone calls and people have just felt really glad to have that human connection with people which is what life is about really you know if you're lonely and isolated whether you're a new mother or an elderly person um or just uh, a hard-working person who doesn't really have much in their life apart from work because things have been like that for so long just being able to communicate and connect with other human beings can lift you out of that um 
bubble you end up getting stuck in. So I think that's one of the reasons why I love my job so much, as well as all the other sling stuff that I do. It's the same kind of thing, but from a slightly different perspective. It's all about communication and connection. Yeah, absolutely. And carrying is what brings us that with our babies from the very, very beginning. So when did you start carrying? Because your children are older now, aren't they? Well, my best friend um, had a baby who would never wanted to be put down. I still remember the day she walked into my house nearly 13 years ago um, and she put her baby down on the floor and she just cried and cried and the only thing that would calm her down was to be picked up. Um, and she got an old stretchy wrap somewhere and so she was trying to learn how to use it. And I remember looking at it and thinking, that looks pretty long, but it seemed to work. Um, and so when my baby arrived six months later, we were pregnant at the same time, I thought I wanted to have a go with the stretchy myself. Um, and I also thought it would be really useful because um, I'm deaf, I lip read, and so um, I was always quite aware that I was going to struggle with hearing my baby cry or be able to understand the different tones of the sounds that they made and everything like that. So having watched my friend use her baby carrier a lot and the fact that she could look at her little girl and then they could, she seemed to be able to communicate wordlessly, I thought this is going to be something that's going to be really useful for me. So I got a stretchy as well. Um, I have to say I didn't like it that much because it didn't come with a very good set of instructions and um, I found it hot and uh, it was one of these older style rather thick stretches. Um, and I didn't find the instructions very helpful because one of them suggested that I put my baby into a sleepy hold, which is kind of like a cradle position to help them to sleep. And I, I remember putting my little boy in this and thinking this can't be good for his airways. And I could feel him sort of snoring in a very sort of uncomfortable way. And I thought I don't trust this and I would take him out. Um, so I only ever actually had him upright in the stretcher, which of course I realised later on that's how it was meant to be done. But the instruction booklet showed this cradle hold, and who was I to sort of second guess a manufacturer? Um, but I did second guess it because I know plenty about baby airways and breathing, and I thought, well, that's really not right. So actually the stretcher didn't get as much use as it could have done, and a friend of ours lent us a baby Bjorn. Mm. That was great actually, but I felt so much more comfortable using that because my little boy was now upright and he was clearly breathing properly and I just felt mm -hmm. far more confident um, in his health with that but it wasn't very comfortable and I remember the ache that I got in my shoulder and he was a chunky little fella and I got the ache in my shoulder and the way it was sort of down and it was just uncomfortable on my back and so I went looking around and found an ergo baby. It's so common with those um, those style of those harness uh, that style of harness carrier, where the weight is on the very top of your shoulders, for that to really hurt the back of a parent. I see it a lot in my clients. Um, so it's interesting that even all those years ago, when you started carrying, that it was there for you as well. So it's interesting. Absolutely. It's such a common experience for mm. most people, you know, they start out like this with something that's going to be inexpensive or something that somebody else said, well, I didn't really get on with that. Maybe you'll make better use of it than I would. And quite often that can be the end of a potentially wonderful baby wearing journey because they haven't been given the right help right at the start. Or they think that all carriers are like that and all carriers will do that to their back and then they don't look around for other options what else there is it, I hear it quite a lot when I get second time parents in so when they come in with number two and they're like we definitely need a now 
and they tell me about their experience with number one. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me when my second child was born. I thought, well, I, there were some things about the career that I really liked with my first child. You know, when you're preoccupied with having to look after a new baby and then this toddler wants help and support, you need your hands back. So actually, I think I really got into slings with my second child. She was carried daily. At this time, I got a better stretchy and I had the ergo and I found a group of women um, in my local area who were also using slings and we tried each other's carriers on and I soon realised actually this is something that every parent needs to know. This is such a wonderful tool that can make such a difference to somebody's experience of parenthood, to their mental health, to have my mental health and it was just such an obvious solution. So that's where the local sling me grew from actually because we started meeting in parks and cafes and people would come up to us and say that looked really interesting, where can I get one of those? And so, you know, we started building up a collection of carriers that we could lend people and uh, uh, just giving them the opportunity to just discover this wonderful tool for themselves. That's wonderful. So, the most difficult question I'll probably ask you in this podcast, what is your personal favourite carrier? Out of all the carriers there are, what is your personal favourite one? Well, I've been asked that question many, many times. <laughs> My personal favourite carrier is one that works and does a really good job of connecting a child to their parent. Um, I actually, I, I love all of them. I absolutely adore stretchy wraps. I really love the way they bind mum or dad or a, pair, a primary caregiver to that baby and this little cocoon of hormones and emotion and safety and relationship building. Quite often there's nothing really like it, especially when you see that look on somebody's face. They put the stretchy on, baby kind of goes, mm. and there's that look of bliss. Oh, that, I think that's my favourite moment when it comes to um, carriers. But, you know, actually I spend most of my time uh, with woven wraps. You know, I had quite an extensive collection of beautiful woven wraps for a little while. You know, I'm not into buying shoes or handbags. So, so I bought woven wraps because they made me feel good. I loved how they looked. Um, you too, absolutely. Absolutely the same, Rosie. I'm massive rabbit hole. Loved them. I loved the freedom they gave me, you know, because I could just put a piece of cloth in my bag and then I could go anywhere and I could do anything and I could carry my child on my front, on my hip, on my back. I could carry them both if I had to. Actually, I spend most of my time, I look back over this, um, usually mainly size threes and size fours because I didn't want loads and loads of fabric taking up a large amount of space. And with a size three or four, I could do my two favourite raven wrap carriers of all time. And I can tell you what they are. With the size three, I love the knotless ruck. Yes. The candy cane chest belt or just the Tibetan yeah. finish. Super. One of my favourites as well. I absolutely love that carry. Much more comfortable than a standard rock, the knotless mm. rock. And then for the size four, I would always do a knotless double hammock. You get the theme there, knotless <laughs> always. Um, and I really like the knotless double hammock actually because um, I really like the hoop pass, you know, the mm. rope pass that you get to the end that just helps just to bring those knees up a little bit further and bring everything in just that little closer. And of course, it was short enough that I could use it as a rather dramatic scarf as well. So, and it was great for things like uh, picnics and mopping up spills, you know, long enough to be useful for multi-layer multi carries, but not so long that it was cumbersome. So that was my favourite. I also had a pretty nice collection of buckle carriers and um, 
though I could have waited for blending in a little bit more, and I think I felt a little bit less conspicuous sometimes with a buckle carrier because they feel just that little bit more mainstream. And yeah. so I really get why some people absolutely love buckles over everything else. But of course, I, I was always struck by the slight irony of the fact that buckles had said, oh, they're the easiest type of carrier out there. But actually, there's an awful lot of getting to know that particular buckle and how it fits that particular combination of child and carer that makes it not always quite as straightforward as it may seem. Um, I also love teaching ring slings and that's another great thing because it's one of these things that frightens people a lot. Are they mm. going to fall out of the bottom? How am I going to be able to make sure they don't slip? And being able to work with the mechanics of it and to understand the physiology of a baby and an older child and how they sit and how that works with fabric, you know, that's really satisfying. Mm. Um, and then of course, um, one of the things I love best about back carrying young babies, I have to say, I'm really fond of really good May dye for that. Yeah. This can be really useful for women or men or anybody who's feeling totally touched out by the needs of a child on the front or the time. And being able to pop them quickly and easily on your back in something like a May dye, which can feel a little bit less scary than a raven wrap. You know, there's something to love about every single carrier there is. There really, really is. There really is. That's why we do what we do, because there's just so many choices. What would your favourite carrier of all time, Lisanne? Pardon, my favourite carrier of all time? <laughs> Definitely woven wraps. Um, in particular, my hand-woven from Rock and Roll, Birdie Butt Fluff one. So it's black, uh, black edges with um, a pink section in the middle and then a silver section in the middle and it's made with um uh cotton and silver spun cotton so it's got some proper some of the heating properties of silver in it as well and that's a nice long one it's just over five meters mm. so it's a, a generous size six nearly a seven and uh yeah i i tandem wore dexter and trixie and that a lot when um they were both a lot smaller but yeah it was magic you probably got a bit of this sort of um, emotional connection to it. Oh yeah, so emotional. I'll, I'm keeping that one for the grandkids. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Right. So, I think your well your your book Why Baby Wearing Matters and your work with Carrying Matters, the website you created and the social media work you do with that as well. I think those are the the two. Um, things that you are most well known for around the globe because um, you are a global name in our industry um, and I do still have my signed copy. Uh, I remember meeting you Lisanne, you were so nervous. It was so strange to me that anybody could possibly be nervous of me. <laughs> oh you remember. <laughs> <laughs> you meet so many people all the time, I was no one then. Mm. Um, but I remember you said, because uh, obviously Dexter was just one, and you said, oh yeah, I do like bald babies. <laughs> and you were the first person to ever compliment me on having a bald baby. Everyone else yeah. was like, oh no, where's his hair? Or, oh, he's not got much hair. So, yeah, thank you for that. Um, so, how did the book come about? 
Well, I never actually set out to write a book, you know, um, <laughs> what a complete surprise to me. I think partly it's because um, I've been doing a lot of blogging for my website when we set up the Sling Meet oh, many, many years ago now. And, um, and I realised that the same questions were being asked over and over again by parents. And then in the Sling Library group, you know, people would always be looking for the same answers to questions. And I remember there was quite a lot of controversy quite early on about um, uh, the narrow-based carriers and whether or not they actually cause hip dysplasia. And people were looking for some kind of um, well-written definitive answer to that question. Um, and so I just sort of basically sat down and wrote an article for my website about healthy hips. What is the actual issue here? And do narrow-based carriers harm babies? Because there was quite a lot of um, nasty behaviour going on and quite a lot of mum shaming. And I thought I don't have any time for that. I want to encourage people. So I wrote that article. And then the, I wrote other things about um, safety and came up with the J-shape concept to try and get away from the dangerous slumping that you can sometimes get when babies roll up into a ball. Yeah. And I think the Pinto and Martin uh, publishers must have seen these articles somewhere or somebody must have sent, sent them to them because they then emailed me and said that we've heard that you'll be um, a good person to write a book and we're creating this series of why it matters, you know, why breastfeed, why the politics of breastfeeding matters and everything like that. And would you write a book called Why Baby Why Matters? And I was like, wow, yes. I mean, I've always <laughs> wanted to write a book, but I never actually thought it would happen. Yeah. Um, so yes, I did. I agreed to write the book, but my wordless and it took me so long you know because you remember I'm still a working GP and at that time I had small children and we're running a sling library and I was running the website and everything so I basically took it took me about 18 months to write the book in evenings and wow. weekends no section by section I had a wonderful editor who really helped to bring it all together um and uh I think I'm hoping I might one day maybe be able to write a second edition to it because, you know, we know so much more now than we did back then. You know, I wrote the book and that really triggered me to go and find out even more. So what we know now about um, the neuroscience and how babies' brains mm. develop and the role of holding and that and all the stuff about adverse childhood experiences and soft touch, you know, all of that come about more recently in the last five years so I would love to be able to write a second edition to the book one day but that may take a bit more time yeah that would be amazing though and it is such a great book um it it, it doesn't take long to read I know it took you a very long time to write um <laughs> but in terms of mothers or any caregivers looking for more information in depth then I heartily recommend Rosie's book um as well as her Carrying Matters website um, which also has a huge trove of articles and resources and information. Like, when did you start the website? Oh, I can't remember. I mean, I think I started the website the year, maybe the year after the book was published. Um, mm. I had a little bit of a discussion with the publisher about what to call it, because I wanted to call it Why Carrying Matters, because baby wearing is only a tool for that important connection. And you can carry your child in your arms and still get so many of the benefits of that contact. Um, but they did want it to be about baby wearing, so I actually had a section in the book about that. So I think I called the website what I would have liked to have called the book. And of course, you know, not everybody had the time to sit down with a book and they want something quick and simple they can just scroll through on a phone or a mobile. So actually, um, books are all great, but we need to have information in a way that's accessible for people in the spaces they spend their time in. So the website is also an important part of it, as is social media. That's it. And I have also shared loads of articles from your website 
with my clients um, and on my social media accounts. Because as you say, having it there digitally means we can share it so much easier and quicker um, than a book. But yeah, it is such such an invaluable resource. So thank you for creating it because no, it's meant I haven't had to do that. Uh, <laughs> one of the nicest things that actually came out of writing the book, did you know that somebody turned it into a woven wrap? Oh, did they? Yes, uh, Lenny Lamb actually sort of took a section oh. of the paragraph of the book and turned it into a raven wrap and a mayday, um, then put a balloon on it that would sort of floating away, lifted up into the... And so that was lovely to see, actually, to think that um, uh, things that I've written are now sort of like put down on fabric. It's lovely. It's really good. That's amazing. What a lovely compliment as well for your work. Mm, yeah. That's brilliant. Um, so I've asked you here today, not only to chat about, uh, how awesome you are, but also specifically <laughs> about the, the fourth trimester, um, which is a term we know really well as carrying consultants and obviously yourself as a GP, but might be a new term for some of our listeners who may not have heard it before. So would you mind just quickly explaining what the fourth trimester is? Well, absolutely. It's relatively self-explanatory. We have three trimesters of pregnancy where you have um, it all split into sort of three months of key stages of development. The fourth trimester, therefore, is another few months where baby gets that sort of um, intense nurturing on the outside. So they've been born, so they're no longer inside. And they have this very intense period of trying to transition from being in a very enclosed, warm space to being in a very big, open different outside world and um, because the, the concept of needing to provide a child with that level of closeness, contact, interaction, thinking about it as an extension of pregnancy encourages people to hold babies closer and um, we've created quite a lot of useful infographics about the fourth trimester to try and help parents and caregivers and healthcare professionals to try and have a little bit more empathy with what a baby's experience of this period is so they can respond with a little bit more compassion and a little bit more understanding to mm. a baby's particular completely normal types of behaviour so that's yeah. what the fourth trimester is. Mm. It's such a key time as well for the well for the new parents as well the new caregivers of the baby because they're they're also reborn I don't know how you felt um when you had your children but I definitely felt a massive change in myself and as well as learning to be a parent I was also relearning who I am um as a new parent and I feel like the fourth trimester is definitely that lovely transitional stage for those new parents it's called matrescence that's the word I've heard that word before so it's like adolescence is the process of a child becoming an adult and senescence is the process of a, uh, an adult sort of gradually declining into old age. Matrescence is the process of becoming a mother. Um, mm. And it's absolutely a massive transition for uh, mothers as well. And it's very important. From a medical perspective, why do babies in the fourth trimester need to be held so close onto our bodies? Well, it's just because it's completely normal developmental behaviour instinctively across time, across generations, across cultures. 
new parents tend to pick up and hold the baby because it keeps them safe. The idea of putting a baby down and separating them is a new idea that is not part of normal human development. Um, and actually, the close contact is actually allowing the baby to complete all their normal development on the upside. So there can sometimes be this idea the babies are born before they're really ready or they've been born too soon. But that's actually um, quite misogynistic. Women's bodies are able to deliver a baby at exactly the right time when the baby's ready to be born. They're just ready for the next stage of their development, which is to allow their brain to blossom. So a, a child can't learn about things like relationship, language, love, communication on the inside. They need to have that opportunity for their brain to learn these skills, and they have to do that on the outside. But because they're still so vulnerable, they need that close contact to give them a safe space to be while they're learning all about the rest of the world and that place of safety. And so babies learn to love by experiencing and feeling love. They learn how to be in relationships by experiencing that. They learn to speak by hearing a voice and having an opportunity to practice it with somebody who responds to them. But they learn how to laugh and smile from watching a parent give them that feedback. And you can only do that if you're close to somebody. You're not going to learn those uh, things if you're down on the floor far away um, and we know this is really important because of all the studies that came out of situations like those Romanian orphans where these children were given a place to sleep, they were given clothes to wear, they were given food to eat but they were not given human love and connection, they weren't picked up, they weren't cuddled, people didn't speak to them and this had a massive impact on their brain growth and development and had huge impacts on their psychological health for the rest of their lives. There were situations where some of the orphans were adopted into American homes and they were given the best of care, psychiatry, uh, medical health, help, but actually they still struggled enormously with just who they are how to be. I said this is why actually we have to encourage primary caregivers to cuddle babies and keep them close because it just allows them to anchor into the world and become human beings in relationship. Um, there's also um, lots of things going on with close contact about um, the hormonal and physiological changes going on inside the baby when they're being cuddled. So for example, uh, the close contact, the impact of skin on skin triggers mm. uh, oxytocin release. And oxytocin yeah. is a really important hormone. It's released by um, the hypothalamus in the brain and um, it uh, has a multiple effect on many systems. Um, basically one of the most important things it does is work on the emotional centres of the brain and create mm. a sense of belonging of secure attachment. So that's why oxytocin is called the love hormone. It's not just for uh, uh, romantic relationships, it's actually just about a sense of belonging with somebody. I was going to say, because um, from what I've understood, oxytocin is released not only when we hold our babies close, but when um, caregivers breastfeed or chest feed. Yes, um, absolutely. I felt the release whilst bottle feeding, just from that nurturing feeling, I felt that release of oxytocin. Does it, doesn't it also trigger labour? It does. It's a hormone that has multiple uses. So that is released by um, 
the onset of labour, it's like the oxytocin levels are involved in labour. It is also involved in breast or chest feeding, absolutely. So it's the hormone that actually triggers a letdown, but that's the emotional response. A mother, um, a person who's uh, feeding a baby from her body uh, will hear a baby cry, oxytocin causes the letdown and the production of milk. So it's all again about creating that sort of relationship of feeding, of closeness, of nourishment, of provision. It also involved actually in a sense of um, team and tribal mm. uh, connections. So there were some theories about how potentially oxytocin was important in the past for groups of pe- uh, people to feel connected to each other so they could protect that unit against marauders or invaders. And so oxytocin is about creating that sense of belonging as well as nourishment and nurture. It also has an effect on the stress response systems. Mm. So it connects cortisol and the sympathetic system. So quite often the soft touch or the feeding or the sensation of being uh, loved and belonging to somebody will quite often switch off the parasympathetic overdrive. So basically that's the sort of... um, when you're feeling frightened or worried or anxious about something, it puts you into a sense of overactivity, ready to fight or to freeze or to flee or to freeze, all of those things. And oxytocin reduces the impact of all of that because it has an effect on the stress hormone cortisol. It reduces the production of cortisol. And so it also uh, has an effect on the parasympathetic system, which is the counterbalance to the sympathetic system. when you're feeling calm, when you're moving gently, it brings a sense of well-being, of everything being all right. So oxytocin is just really key to many systems being able to integrate and function properly. Oxytocin mm-hmm. is a wonderful hormone. It's not the only hormone involved in um, relationship building. Dopamine is also really important. So dopamine, for example, is a sense of reward of a sense of something positive having been achieved here. And so, for example, a good example would be baby's baptism is parent or his caregiver smiling. And then gradually, it smiles back. And then the person observing that smile gets this sort of dash of, oh, oh, yes, reward. This is amazing. My baby's smiling at me. That I want more of this. I want to make this happen again. I, I, I love this child. I want to help them to experience more of this. That's dopamine at work, the sense of achievement, that you want more of it. Um, and so there's all these hormones sort of like in this beautiful dance inside the body going on. I mean, we could go on, we could talk about some of the physiological changes going on if you want to, or what some of the effects of soft touch on nervous systems and everything. Basically, closeness is what is expected. Mm. For young babies and it's how they develop normally yeah it, it's our biological norm it is as, as as a mammalian species it is we are a carrying species. species and and our bodies are have evolved to carry yes. our um our young yeah so um, it's not just the babies who have evolved parents have evolved for that as well. So the particular shape of the female body, for example, is designed for a baby to nestle comfortably against it. And then the shape, I mean, there's all sorts of um, anthropological theories about how the human pelvis has allowed uh, the human being to walk long distances and how actually the shape of the female pelvis in particular allows a child to perch on the ledge created by the hip to make carrying easier. And then 
children learn how to cling on, they learn how to use their muscles to make themselves easier to carry. You know, it all works together perfectly, you know, and if we ignore our biology, that's where things start to go wrong. Yeah. I really noticed it when um, Trixie um, was new because obviously when Dexter was born, I didn't know any of this. And then Trixie was born two years later and I had all this additional knowledge about newborns and my journey with her was very different in the start to how I started with Dexter. Um, But I, I, I paid a lot more attention to how even I first put her in a ring sling four hours after I woke up from a C-section and even from there, she was already learning how to adjust her body to sit more comfortably against mine in the ring sling. Mm. And, and as she grew and developed, I would notice when her little grip reflex would just, it's when you get these little hands, just hold onto the edge of your top oh, yes. like that when they're slightly on the side or when you carry them on your back for the first time and they first reach their little hand over your shoulder, like mm. Dexter once he managed to get his big toe hooked into the belt loop on my jeans. Um, yes. as well and now he does use that when I'm carrying because he's four now when he's tired and I carry him upstairs on my hip then he does like tuck his toes into the top of my trousers and absolutely and it's the way they cling onto your arm when you're holding them on your hip as well and what I love about using a sling or a carrier to contain them is that I then have my hands free and both of our bodies are better supported Yes. Continue this carrying. Um, But for newborns, especially, who just want to be on the parent at all times, this is where, and I'm sure you found, that a sling or a carrier is what can really, really help in those early days. Hey, Lizanne. Lizanne? Lizanne! Oh, sorry, Jenny. I was totally immersed in this article about baby wearing in the latest issue of Juno magazine. Juno magazine? What's it about? Oh, it's a great magazine, all about a natural approach to family life. They focus on conscious parenting, sustainability, community and well-being. Also, most of their articles are written by real-life families, like this one about two dads sharing their adoption story. Oh, wow. What else is there? An article on postnatal recovery, one on the power of touch, and one called Why I Carry. It's fab, Jenny. They even have a lush seasonal recipes for you to try at home, competitions, and regular columnists, like including The Mindful Dad. Fantastic. Is it new? No, they've actually been supporting parents for 15 years now. 15 years? I know. They're constantly evolving with our rapidly changing times and reflect modern parenting values in the light of new research. Each issue is built around information, inspiration and inclusion. Ooh, that sounds good. It really is. They include supportive features from families sharing their experiences, articles and product reviews to help you make sustainable choices and they aim to make everyone feel welcome in the community. I'm glad you've mentioned sustainability because as a cloth bum mum, I am eco-conscious. Well, you'll be glad to know that Juno magazine is printed on responsibly sourced paper and if you take out a subscription, you get access to their full digital back catalogue. So I can read their full digital back catalogue on my laptop, my tablet and my phone? Yep, and they'll even send you a free gift when you subscribe. Plus, subscription issues are sent with free UK delivery. I'm sold. How do I subscribe? It's so easy. Just pop over to www.junomagazine.com and sign up. Brilliant! The Mother Rucker podcast is sponsored by Integra Baby, a family-run UK business who don't compromise on ethics and sustainability. 
Integra stands for the future and they believe that with the right choices, we can nurture our babies and our planet. For over a decade, Sarah and her team have worked tirelessly to bring you baby, toddler and preschool carriers of the highest quality. The multi-award winning Integra design is an industry leader and their stunning range of limited edition prints, colours and fabrics such as Harris Tweed make Integra carriers extremely desirable and collectible. With an equally attractive price point and a range of carrying positions available, Integra baby carriers are an absolute must for anyone looking to carry their child. Find yours now at integrababy.co.uk. I had really bad postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety, um, especially with Dexter. Not as much with Trixie, but I think that's because I knew more and second time around. Um, but I found that carrying really helped obviously because of the oxytocin release as you say but it also helped me to be able to care for myself yes it probably also helped with your sense of achievement and confidence you know I am able to be a good mother to my child because I can meet my child's needs without having to sort of suppress myself or ignore my own needs and so yes it's not just about the oxytocin it's also about the confidence and the the reduction of anxiety that comes from being able to achieve the kind of parenting that you think you want to. I think it's also probably important here to mention as well that um, carriers are not a new invention they're not something that's been invented by the western world to deal with a problem um, that's arisen now because of the busyness of lives and everything like that and because of the extra demand on our time by society. Slings have been around since forever um, mm. it's not something new it's not something that we've uh, only discovered recently and just been used by families across all cultures for thousands of years, Africa, the, the Americas, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, every uh, human grouping will have somewhere a carrying tradition and um, quite often it's as simple as just using a piece of cloth and that's probably how the first carriers ever developed. Um, they think that some early human woman realised that if she used a fur or something to carry food in, she could also use it to wrap that around herself and bind her baby to her, which meant that she could then carry water and food and then walk a long way for safety or to find new food sources. So actually using slings is part of the story from mm. a long, long time ago, just more recently that um, we in the West have rediscovered the use of this because our brothers and sisters in other cultures never forgot it, so we've been able to learn from their experiences and benefit from what they've kept going for so long. And then, of course, there's all sorts of new innovations about how to make careers work really well. Um, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing that human beings do because it works for babies and for their parents and yeah. for the community. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so talking about the new developments that we've had in the West with carrying, um, obviously the term hip dysplasia and healthy hips is thrown around a lot with carrier manufacturers, especially um, buckled manufacturers. Um, just for the listeners who may not know much about it but may have heard the term, could you explain a bit more about hip dysplasia newborns and how carrying can affect that? That's a good question. Um, there was quite a lot of concern a few years ago about the impact of narrow-based carriers and what damage it might potentially cause to newborn hips. But a lot of this came from uh, probably got a bit of a lack of understanding amongst communities about how hips actually develop. Um, 
hip dysplasia doesn't happen after birth. It's something that ends up to know about how the hip joint is developing, whether um, a baby is born with a well-developed bone and cup socket, or whether they're just slightly flatter hip joint. That's nothing that a parent has any control over. So a baby may be born with a slightly shallow hip socket. And um, what they do know is that if you don't give babies the opportunities to be in normal physiological position, which is in fact the M shape, babies naturally put themselves into the seated squat with the knees raised up and therefore the hips rotated. When babies are given the opportunity to be in these positions, quite often it allows the hip joint to develop further and optimally, and quite often a lot of the shallow joints can actually self-correct. Hmm. So they discovered that there were particular communities like um, in Malawi, for example, where babies being carried on the back in cloth from a few months old, uh, the rate of hip dysplasia in this community was very, very small. Hmm. So because the babies had the opportunity to correct the shallowness of the hip socket when they were born. And then if you look at other communities where there is a tendency for babies to be held in very straight positions where their hips are not rotated and risen, these hips never have the opportunity to continue development. And so the rate of hip dysplasia when they check is higher because it hadn't self-corrected. And uh, what we know from orthopaedics is that if you do find a child with hip dysplasia, they're often encouraged to spend time in cloth nappies, which naturally tend to separate and raise the hip joint. And then quite often they may end up being put into particular types of harnesses to actually encourage that position, which of course is the position that a wider base carrier will naturally provide. So that's the difference. When we're talking about a child who actually has hip dysplasia, mm. we want to treat the situation appropriately. Yeah. But if you have a child who doesn't have hip dysplasia, you're not going to cause the problem by the choice of carrier that you have. And medicine in this country is unfortunately uh, uh, very widely available to anybody who needs it. And so hip dysplasia is now usually picked up early. Mm. And so it's not that common now that we have undiagnosed cases of hip dysplasia having been ignored and untreated and therefore the problem being caused now. So I would just say to any parent that they're worried about the carrier potentially and they're worried about their baby's hip, the best thing to do is go and speak to their local sling librarian who will be able to give them sensible evidence-based advice about this. Um, and it's always good to do the best you can with the information that you have. If you don't have that information and you have a baby who has normal hips, you're unlikely to cause any damage. Yeah. And I do say it quite a lot, but um, you can find your local carrying consultant and sling librarian at www.slingpages.co.uk, which I believe, Rosie, you were the mastermind behind creating as well. Yes. <laughs> but it is a wonderful, wonderful national interactive map for all the sling libraries and carrying consultants in the UK. Um, most of them. We still need people to still get in touch so we can continue to add more and more. Yes, but it's a really good starting point to find your nearest source of help. And actually with the pandemic, a lot of us have had to take our business online. So mm. there's a huge number of us who, if there isn't anyone near you, we can help you online as well. Um, so I guess that's one positive from the pandemic <laughs> is we've been able to help even more people. 
I would say the hips are probably not the most important safety factor we're worrying yes. about with slings, actually. It's often the thing that um, in people's consciousness, because it's been talked about so much and because manufacturers are now starting to put hip healthy onto their product. But actually what really matters with the carrier is this baby able to breathe safely. And is there any opportunity for them to lose the open airway as the carrier is worn? That is where most of the safety um, focus needs to be, really. Absolutely. So. When a newborn baby is in, well, we'll focus on a newborn because this is about the fourth trimester. Yes. So when a newborn is in a carrier, let me just grab my baby. Uh, so those of you watching on YouTube, you'll see what I'm doing now. Those of you listening, uh, I will do my best to describe. So I've just picked up a newborn baby wearing demonstration doll. I'm just holding it on my chest um, in the position where we would carry in arms and which any wide-based sling or carrier would support. So, hang on, I'll move back a bit so my video can see. Um, so. Yes, yeah, so you can see babies curl nicely around your chest. And yeah. their chest is resting comfortably against yours, which means there's no large gap between yeah. the baby's chest and your supporting structure. So if they do fall asleep, they're not going to roll over and end up with their chin very deep on their chest. Yeah. So actually the hand that you currently have on the back of your baby is only there to provide just a little bit of support. In fact, if you take your hand off your baby, your baby goes nowhere because you're providing all the support from being supported from the chest and being supported from the bottom. So the back of the carrier is just there just to keep them there as opposed to be forcing them into any particular position. Yes, which is a really, really important distinction there. A lot of the time, um, babies do really, really enjoy face planting <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of their mother's breasts. Mm -hmm. um, not as much of an issue for dads, obviously, because they tend not to have squishy areas. Um, so what can you recommend for new parents whose babies really enjoy nestling in like that? Yeah. Yes, well, the key thing, of course, is to remember that our noses have been designed the way they are for a very good purpose. They're not just flat holes on the sides of our cheeks. They've actually got cartilage and the nose sticks out so the nostrils come out of the bottom. And so a good way to just show how actually you can breathe, even if there is a bit of um, pressure, is to put the flat of your hand over your nose and mm -hmm. And you can still breathe because your nostrils have been obscured. So the key thing is that if you've got a face planter and you have uh, um, cloths or uh, breast tissue, you just need to make sure that your baby is well above any sort of um, fabric that could then compress the nostrils rather than anything like this. So the flat part of the chest, the upper part of the chest, to keep them high. And sometimes, if you, sometimes we find that this is something that a good sling librarian can help you with, sometimes turning a baby slightly onto the side, mm. so they actually have their cheek resting against the upper part of your shoulder, but they're still in that sort of semi sort of seated position, knees up, but the, the side of their chest is still very comfortably against you chin off the chest so there are ways of what you can learn to support a baby with their head resting on their shoulder so they're not then potentially slumping down into breast tissue and quite often you find that once your baby's comfortably asleep they, they like to bury them you can then when they're asleep just gently turn the face to the side but you need to wait until they've relaxed because a lot of babies will just fight against it and then go straight back to the way they were before <laughs> that was Trixie she was like that 
So I did end up wearing her seated sideways quite a lot as a newborn so that I could obviously ensure that her airways were clear. But yeah. Um, so the term ergonomic is thrown around quite a lot um, when we're talking about carrying and carriers, but it's a word that people may not know before they've even looked at carriers. So what is an ergonomic carrier? Well, the word ergonomic generally tends to mean things that are streamlined and then it can mm. slip through things. So that's not really relevant here for baby wearing. The word ergonomic has sort of become used for, um, and I think people tend to use it in terms of, is this a wide-based carrier rather than a narrow-based carrier? Which again, is not always helpful because there's often nothing wrong with a narrow-based carrier where a baby is perfectly safe, perfectly able to breathe, parents is comfortable, everything is working. That diet is achieving great things. And then if somebody comes along and says, well, you're not wearing an ergonomic carrier, that's shaming and negative and quite often brings an end to somebody's baby wearing journey precipitously or creates tension and aggro. So I think the word ergonomic is often used in marketing speak to try and persuade people that this particular carrier is better because of its particular shape. So I think people often use the word ergonomic to talk about um, a shape of a carrier. What it really ought to mean in practice, is this carrier safe? Is this carrier comfortable? Is this carrier designed with the needs of the baby and the needs of the carrying parent in mind, with the knowledge of the anatomy and the physiology of them both together? And a good carrier will usually have a website that discusses how they've come up with the design, why they've chosen this particular set of structures, have adaptabilities in there because they will recognise that not one size doesn't fit everybody, and uh, focus quite extensively on safety information. The safety advice, I think, the safety advice for any kind of manufacturer of carriers should be visible immediately when you go to the website. It should not be on some third tab, second star to the right and on to the morning. It needs to be visible immediately. And that shows you what a manufacturer's interest is and where their commitment lies. Yeah. So I think an ergonomic carrier is a carrier that is well designed and fit for purpose and does its job really well. Mm. And I also find with um, a lot of parents uh, who tend not to read the instruction manual is that they buy an ergonomic carrier and they don't always use it how it, the manufacturer intended it. Therefore, the, the, the child is no longer be carrying in a position, their natural position, like the M shape. Um, so I find, yeah, just because a carrier says that it's ergonomic, doesn't necessarily mean that the user is going to use it in an in an ergonomic way. Um, you can use almost any carrier ergonomically if you have skills, information, and extra tools. So, for example, you know something like a simple scarf. If you yes. know how to put a baby on your chest, how to hold them in that optimal position where their airway is protected, their spine is supported, their hips are well supported, and then you put the carrier over them to maintain them in that position, and you realise actually it's not really doing that. You could quite often then spend a bit of time trying to tighten up several straps to see if you can bring the carrier closer and you might find that you can use a simple scarf to help hold the baby's legs in their natural tuck which will actually improve the overall safety and fear of it so um i think with guidance pretty much 
any career can be made to work. And you'll probably find that if you do go and find your local sling library and your career just isn't fitting you and your baby safely, they will tell you that in very polite, kind, encouraging terms and offer you a way to make things that will work. So don't be afraid to go and ask for help, you know, because nobody's going to laugh at you, nobody's going to make you feel stupid. Because sometimes, you know, the information just isn't out there. And when you find a helpful source of information, they'll be more than happy to help you and your baby really find a way to enjoy baby well. Definitely. So that was it for my questions. We're now on to our listener question, which this week comes from Alice. And she would like to know what the best time of day to put a newborn baby in a sling is. So she, in, she told me that um, she is quite keen on trying to establish a routine with her child and sees her sling as part of the activity within the routine. So should she schedule it in after a feed or after a sleep or after a nappy change? Is a routine even achievable with a baby in the fourth trimester? And how can slings help? Well, that very much depends on the baby, you know, because mm. some babies naturally slip themselves into regular, uh, relatively predictable routines. Other babies just do their own thing. Um, both are completely normal. Both are good babies. Um, and so if you're trying to think about where to fit a sling into your schedule, um, I suppose the simple answer to that is if the sling is there as a way for you to be hands free and to be able to do things with your baby, you can use the sling as part of their awake time. If that's what you want to do, you can use it to uh, be, be able to prepare meals while your baby's getting all the benefit of being close to you and they get the opportunity to watch what you're doing, to be talked to, to have a relationship developing. But you can also use a sling for naps if you want to. Some babies really love sleeping in the sling because like with the whole fourth trimester concept, it's like being at home. They're back in a safe space, the smell is right, feel right. There's that gentle movement, this very soporific and calm down their vestibular uh, excitation. And so a sling could be a wonderful way of helping to get a baby into a nap schedule if that's what you want to do. Um, you can also use um, a, bit, a sling as a way to calm down an upset child. So if a child is a bit colicky or like a bit cranky or just generally wanting to be held all the time, you might probably find the sling will give you a way to be able to calm them down and so you can continue to get on with your day the way you need it to. Because I, I am aware that some families really need to do things in a particular order because of the way society functions around them. Mm. And so of course the sling could be a very useful tool we're making sure that your baby doesn't get left behind while you need to do all, all these particular things. Um, but I would just generally, I suppose, say that the best thing to do is just to listen to your baby. Um, and if your baby wants to be carried, carry them. And if they want to be put down, put them down. If they enjoy the sling, use the sling. If they want to have some playtime, learning to use their muscles, and they want to get down, let them get down as long as it's safe to do so, of course. Um, and then just to remember that the sling is a really useful tool for connection. The point is not the carrier, it's the relationship, really. You could use a sling after a feed to help bring up excess wind. So that could be another really useful way to do it. Um, so I think it very much depends on the family what they want the carrier to be there for. Mm, that's a lovely answer, thank you. Um... And finally, what is your top tip for carrying 
for parents and caregivers if you could only give oh, them right. one thing oh that's not fair only i one. know i know oh, um, i have a list of about seven or eight i could say <laughs> for career for parents and caregivers um i think i would probably say that carrying is a good thing it brings good things to babies and parents so you don't need to be afraid of things like clinginess or that is somehow going to stunt your child's development. Carrying is normal. It helps people and babies to develop optimally. Don't be afraid of it. It won't make your child uh, slow to walk. It won't make them unable to explore the world later. It's normal. That's such, such a good piece of advice. <laughs> <laughs> You need to make a poster or sell t-shirts with that on as well. But yeah, carrying is normal, definitely. Yeah, all too often I have clients who come in um, and one of the first questions I get asked is, will they be dependent on it? Will, will, it, will it give me a rod for my own back? Um, or maybe older generations have said those kind of things to them or maybe they're even their own partner has said those kind of things to them. And I always... <clears throat> thankfully I can use my own children as the example and say yeah, it definitely doesn't <laughs> it definitely doesn't um it does the opposite in fact doesn't it so there's a saying before independence must come dependence so your babies need to know that you're always there for them which gives them the courage and the confidence Absolutely. to go and explore the world absolutely it's called the circle of security yes. you cannot explore the world if you don't have a stable base to go back to um i think it's just really kind of um kind of sad in many ways that um we as parents are often worried about meeting our children's needs out of the fear of the future mm. um and because that often stops us from doing what's actually going to be useful and helpful right now so if your baby needs a cuddle or feed or sleep right now it's okay to give them that just because they need it right now doesn't mean they're still going to need it exactly the same way in a few months time and so the fear of the future stops us from actually being able to be the effective compassionate parents we would really like to be and i think it's really sad that society has put this burden onto new families mm. that they need to harden their children up and they need to encourage early independence and they must need people because you know I'm in my early 40s I need people just as much now as I did when I was a small baby I do better when I have support from other people and I just think it's really sad when we're trying to take that support away from children at their most vulnerable when they're learning right now what is a good helpful supportive loving relationship look like that I can trust and rely on mm. they need that yeah definitely well thank you so much for appearing on the podcast Rosie um where can people find you if they want to follow up or find out more well my website I think um is a good place to sort of find information is carryingmatters.co.uk. Um, my email address is the same, carryingmatters at gmail.com. And I've got my own Facebook page and Instagram account, and I use them quite frequently. So you can always message me on there. Um, my Facebook page is Dr. Rosie Knowles, actually. Um, and my Instagram account is carrying matters. 
but just message me. I'm good, usually pretty good at replying to my emails and my messages. I get lots of messages from um, people asking simple questions, and I'm always happy to help them. Quite often, they haven't been able to get answers elsewhere, and you know, I just want to be able to do good things for people. So please get in touch. Wonderful, thank you. You've been listening to the Mother Rucker podcast with me, Lizanne Skinner. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Mother Rucker UK and on YouTube. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast, please send an email to podcast at motherrucker.co.uk. If you need help with caring, I'm available for online and in-person consultations five days a week. Please go to www.motherrucker.co.uk for more information. Remember to like, share, subscribe, text your mate, post on social media, phone your mum, everything you can think of, but get the word out there. Let them know about this podcast. Thank you again, Rosie. And I look forward to chatting again soon. Take care, everyone. Bye.